Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and today I'm actually bringing you a bonus fifth part to our coverage of the coronavirus pandemic's impact on different segments of aviation. While doing the series, we did a number of different interviews, two of which we actually did not release at the time that we published these series. So today we'll be featuring two of those interviews. Later on, I'll be talking with representatives from Wings Advance, which is a data and analytics company that focuses on providing data and business intelligence about flight activity to the business aviation industry. I'll also be talking with a consultant from Aerodynamic Advisory as well. But first, Delta Airlines held its first quarter earnings call this week, and I thought that their executives made some very interesting comments. This is one of the first uh, major carriers that has had such a earnings call, you know, since the uh, sort of travel restrictions and drop in travel demand has been implemented almost across the globe. Uh, this, this call was held Tuesday, April 22nd, and the executives from Delta discuss how many airplanes they've grounded, the type of government assistance that they're seeking, as well as a overall resizing of their business. So here's the opening remarks from Delta's second quarter earnings call. You'll hear first from Delta Airlines CEO Ed Bastian, and then from Paul Jacobson, who is their chief financial officer. The first quarter of 2020 has truly been like no other in our history. The hearts and prayers of the entire Delta family are with the thousands worldwide who have lost loved ones to this pandemic. None of us could possibly have anticipated the speed with which COVID-19 has affected the health of the world's people and slowed economies across the globe. This has led to an unprecedented situation where demand for near-term air travel dropped to almost zero in a matter of weeks. Our response has been focused on three priorities. First, protecting the health and the safety of our employees and our customers. Second, preserving our financial liquidity to work through this crisis. And third, ensuring we're well positioned to recover once the virus is contained and building a plan to accelerate our progress through this period of recovery. Nothing is more important than the health and the safety of our people and our customers and we have substantially increased our investment in cleanliness across the organization. These include a wide range of safety and cleaning measures on our planes, at the airports, and across our facilities. And these actions won't end when the virus abates. We're taking steps to help our employees and customers practice social distancing. They include blocking middle seats, pausing automatic upgrades, modifying our boarding process, and reducing meal service and other touch points. I've always said we have the best team in the industry. I want to thank all 90,000 of them for the incredible work that they are doing. Our employees are on the front lines in the fight against the virus, keeping our nation's airways open for essential travel, even as they worry about their own health. Our nation has a lot of heroes in this battle against the virus, and I'm proud of the men and women of Delta serving our nation in this time of need. The CARES Act Payroll Support Program recognizes the important role our employees play in supporting the U.S. economy, and we are grateful to the President, members of Congress and the administration, and particularly Secretary Mnuchin for their support and their leadership. On Monday, we received $2.7 billion of the $5.4 billion that's expected over the next few months. $3.8 billion of this is direct aid, 
with $1.6 billion in a low-interest, unsecured 10-year loan. When you combine this relief with our actions in the capital markets and our aggressive cost management, we expect to have at least $10 billion in liquidity at the end of the June quarter. Since early March, we've raised $5.4 billion in new financing and will likely raise several billion more this quarter, a strong indication of the confidence that the capital markets have in Delta. And while this will help ensure we have liquidity to weather the crisis, with a more than 90% expected reduction in revenues this quarter, we needed to quickly address costs to stem cash burn. We have taken actions to reduce our total cost base by over 50% in the June quarter. This amounts to a $5 billion reduction over the prior year, which is impressive given the very short time frame with which we've had to get this done. And it was the great spirit of the Delta people that were a big part of making that happen. Right now, 37,000 employees, more than one-third of our workforce, have elected to take voluntary unpaid leaves ranging from 30 days to one year, a significant personal sacrifice that I will forever be grateful for. This is helping reduce our daily cash burn, which started at $100 million per day in March, down to $50 million a day starting next month in May. Paul will go into more detail on these cost reductions and the cash burn trajectory that we are seeing. After taking care of the safety of our customers and our people, and protecting the financial liquidity of our enterprise, the third priority we have is starting to build our recovery plan. These are truly unprecedented times, and the path to recovery is uncertain and will likely be choppy. And while we all wish we could predict the pace of the recovery, the truth is our recovery will be dictated by our customers feeling safe, both physically and financially, to begin to travel at scale. Given the combined effects of the pandemic and associated financial impact on the global economy, we believe that it could be up to three years before we see a sustainable recovery. And to succeed throughout that environment, we will likely need to resize our business in the near term to protect it in the long term. And while the resizing of our business over the short term is painful, it will also be an opportunity to accelerate strategies to streamline our company, simplify our fleet, and reduce our fixed cost base in ways not possible in the past. It will allow us to advance the timelines of some of our critical airport infrastructure projects as we don't have the same constraints that limited progress and drove higher costs to construct. We'll be focused on what it takes to regain consumer confidence to travel, and we are enlisting the very best medical advisors to help us navigate the journey from testing through to vaccines and helping translate those solutions to our business model. Safety will no longer be limited to flight safety, but personal safety as well. And while we may have more questions than answers about our path forward at present, one thing that is certain, it is that the strengths that are core to Delta's business, our people, our brand, our network, and our operational reliability are enduring. These advantages will continue to differentiate Delta and position us to succeed. In short, we have the same aspirations for our company today that we had a short 60 days ago. And while the path to recovery may take several years, there are many aspects to this crisis that will make us a better, stronger, and more resilient airline. In fact, 
I believe that the customer of tomorrow will place a higher premium on the quality of service than ever before. And that is our calling card, the strength of our brand, our reliability, and the service excellence of our people, redefining personal safety for our customers and serving as the bedrock, not just for our recovery, but our acceleration into the future. So that is how we're navigating this crisis, taking the very best care of our customers and our people, preserving the financial liquidity of the enterprise, and building a plan to not just rescale the business over the recovery period, but to streamline it and accelerate progress on our long-term strategy. I'd like to thank all of our employees, our partners, our community and government leaders, our suppliers, our banks, our owners, everyone who is helping to contribute to protect Delta's long-term success. Our customers continue to send thousands of strong messages of support on a daily basis, which I greatly appreciate. And I also appreciate the great work of our leadership team in navigating a crisis in which we know we will prevail. Thank you all for that. And before I turn the call over to Paul, I have some good news that I hope you have all heard. As you know, Paul has announced, had announced his plans to retire on February 28th, though he never left the office. And I personally asked him to reconsider, and he's graciously agreed. Paul is an incredibly important part of our team, and we're fortunate that he'll remain as Delta CFO. Paul? Thank you, Ed, and good morning, everybody. Thank you all uh, for joining us. It is great to be here. Um, thank you for that, Ed. Our March quarter pre-tax loss of $422 million, $1.3 billion lower than last year, was Delta's first quarterly loss in almost a decade. As revenues rapidly deteriorated through the month of March, we took decisive action to reduce our cost base and preserve liquidity, ending the quarter with $6 billion in cash. Our ability to move the needle on costs in the month of March was limited as schedules and bid periods were largely set. Starting this month, however, our cost structure has taken a big step down with the adjustments we have made. These actions include strategically parking more than 650 aircraft to get optimal maintenance savings and reducing our facilities expense by consolidating concourses and temporarily closing sky clubs. We've eliminated the majority of our discretionary spend for things like contractors and advertising as well. We also instituted a hiring freeze and reduced work hours across the business. And as Ed mentioned, 37,000 of our employees have volunteered to take an unpaid leave of absence. Together, these actions result in savings of approximately $550 million in the June quarter alone. With such a large capacity pull down, we needed to go beyond what we normally would consider volume-related costs. Because of our aggressive cost management, we were able to swiftly make 60% of our total operating expenses variable in this environment. These off efforts have offset more than $200 million of unplanned expenditures associated with new cleaning procedures and the recent debt raises that we've accomplished. Combined with $2 billion in lower fuel expense from reduced flying and lower fuel prices, we expect a $5 billion reduction in total operating expense for the June quarter. Our ability to achieve these savings simply would not be possible without the dedication, spirit, and commitment of the Delta people. With the immediate needs of the June quarter addressed, we're now beginning to think about how we reset the cost structure of the company for the longer term. Glenn and his team are developing scenario views of what the revenue environment might look like for the next several years. This will underpin not only how our network should adapt, but how our cost structure will need to as well. 
In the current environment, we can take a fresh zero-based look at our cost structure, especially where we spend money on overhead like facilities, advertising, and third-party contract providers. And as Ed mentioned, accelerating work on initiatives like fleet simplification will have a lasting benefit to our cost structure going forward. Because ultimately, cost reductions are the biggest lever to mitigate cash burn in an uncertain revenue environment. At the end of March, cash burn was running approximately $100 million per day. You can think of this in, in two parts. Roughly 10 to $20 million in negative net sales as refunds outpaced bookings and the difference in expense burn. As we move through the June quarter, we expect net sales to remain slightly negative as we work down our refund backlog and take additional capacity actions. When close-in demand returns, cash will recover as corporate customers purchase new tickets and leisure travelers are utilizing their travel credits over a multi-year period. In addition to our work on expenses, we've had good success negotiating deferred payments to airports, vendors, and lessors. During this time, we've also moved quickly to reduce capital outflows, cutting more than $3 billion of our planned 2020 CapEx, suspending all shareholder returns, and deferring elective voluntary pension funding. Putting this together, we expect cash burn should come down to $50 million per day beginning in May, a 50% reduction from where we were just a few short weeks ago. That moderation should continue in the back half of the year as revenue recovers modestly, but we are prepared for cash flow to remain negative through the end of the year. To make it through this period, we have been actively and aggressively raising liquidity. The work we put into the balance sheet over the last decade has made a tremendous difference. As we went into this crisis with more than $20 billion in unencumbered assets and low debt levels. Since early March, we've raised $5.4 billion of new financing at an average rate of just under 4%, encumbering approximately $6.5 billion of collateral. For the remainder of the year, we have an exhaustive list of potential initiatives that we could action if needed to further bolster liquidity. Among other things, this list includes raising additional debt against our remaining unencumbered assets. We are also eligible for a $4.6 billion secured loan under the CARES Act. While we plan to apply for that loan later this month to reserve our place, we have several months to determine if we will take those funds and accept the loan. In closing, Delta has experienced shocks before, perhaps not this big, but in many ways, we spent the last decade preparing for this next disruption. Our people have acted quickly and decisively to protect the financial health of the organization, and I'm proud of what the team has accomplished in just a short period of time. Now let's get into our first interview for this episode, where I caught up with the founder of Wings Advance, which is a Hamburg, Germany-based provider of business intelligence, aviation data, and analytics to the business aviation industry. You'll get some insights into how traffic within the business aviation segment has trended over the last month and also how Wings expects that segment to recover eventually, probably in a different way from the commercial airline segment. We actually did this interview from the first week of April. So if you listen to this conversation and then take a look at some of the latest you know updates on how the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus is impacting aviation you'll get to see 
what has changed since then. So let's get into our first interview of this episode. Richard, could you just give our audience a brief introduction to yourself, your name and job title, your role with WingX Advanced, and uh, a little bit of background on what WingX Advanced provides for the aviation industry? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Richard Coe, and I'm Managing Director of Wings, or, or Wings Advanced, to give it the full name, but really we refer to it as Wings. And um, we're a data and analytics company. We're based in Hamburg in Germany. And we're, we've been focused now almost 10 years on, on providing uh, data and business intelligence to the business aviation industry. I see. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just a little bit of background that, um, that, that I'm the, the joint founder of the company and the MD. Uh, I came from the industry having spent a decade in, uh, in the, on the operator side, on the aircraft operator side, uh, also the FBO side, and also as an investor. Um, and we, we really put wings together because we felt that the industry uh, is a very complicated one. Um, it, uh, it, it mixes a lot of different activities, and it doesn't, uh, in our view, it didn't at that time, um, have have the, the the sort of data service and market intelligence service that could really help it understand um, how its business moves and, and and what information and insight that provides to its uh, its operations. I see. And what types of data services and, and analytics do you primarily provide to business aviation? So primarily, we're we're focused on flight activity. So we uh, we we've built um, we've built research feeds to flight activity, whether it's through air traffic control or through ADSB networks or other sources, so that we have a record of uh, of every flight of every sector that's been flown, and we can relate that to tail numbers or serial numbers on aircraft that fly those. Um, those operations and, and relate that upwards to operators, types of operators, and all the airports they fly to and from, uh, and indeed even translate that activity into addressable revenue. So we're imparting that knowledge to um, to the supply chain within our industry. Um, so that could be anything from an aircraft operator to an airport ground ground provider, catering company, handling company. Um, so we we help them understand how their market is moving in terms of what aircraft utilization tells us and what that represents in terms of value uh, and therefore help them make decisions, whether that's you know, an investment decision or a, or a sales decision. I see. And now over the last month or so, um, as you all have watched, you know, the, just this kind of rapid way that the outbreak of COVID-19 has impacted all segments of aviation and really just all factors of life. Um, what kind of insights have you drawn from you know the type of flight activity that you've been analyzing? Well, it's been an extremely abrupt shock. I mean, I think that um, the last time um, we saw anything like the, the the abruptness of the shock was 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 either way back at 9/11 or with the volcano in Europe um, some five years ago, where really uh, almost immediately um, a large proportion of overall aviation activity um, uh, was stopped. Now, with business aviation, there was some 
exception here because it you know wasn't a weather condition that actually prevented aircraft from flying. Um, you did see, we did see, we tracked for probably 10 days or so in Europe uh, from, from early March. We did track quite a surge in, in, in business aviation activity. For some operators, there was actually an increase um, in, in their operations. That was almost entirely concerned with repatriation efforts. Um, but I think it did advertise uh, the industry's uh, versatility at a time where airline capacity was progressively closed down or even shut down because of government policy. Business aviation provided a large resort of connectivity that was, that was really pretty critical and, and continues to do so, by the way. And that was actually my next question. Is that still continuing? And, you know, considering we're, we're still kind of early in, in April here, um, is that still continuing for business aviation or has that kind of slowed down the, you know, re repatriation, returning citizens home type of flights? Yeah, I mean, yeah, repatriation actually has some way to go because there are still a large number of people um, stranded in, in, you know, away away from their homes. Um, and the the airline shutdown has has been some way ahead of the slowdown in business aviation. I mean, even at the end of March, we were seeing um, 80, 90 percent of capacity progressively being closed down, and and now it really is down to kind of a skeleton of of uh, of flights from the from the airlines. Many of them diverted towards cargo ops. So business aviation uh, is now trending down uh, 70% in the last week, and that that applies to North America and Europe. So they're they're pretty much aligned. So that still does leave. Um, some uh you know some some operations active and uh and, and they're largely they're either ambulance flights or almost certainly repatriation activity yeah and that, that's interesting to learn about now as you've seen sort of the flight activity go down especially over the last week based on this types of you know data analytics and services that you provide to business aviation what are your customers asking for in this time where it's kind of fluid and we, we just don't know when we're going to be able to get back to a sense of normalcy. We don't know when these travel restrictions will eventually be lifted. What, what types of, you know, solutions are your customers asking you to provide to, you know, kind of help them stay alive during this, this time? Well, you know, a lot, a lot of them are facing decisions that, that an awful lot of non-aviation businesses are facing too, which is, should I shut down completely? You know, should we be furloughing crew and, uh, and pilots and parking the aircraft um, or, or should we be you know holding out until things start to turn so I think they're interested to look at you know peer groups uh, for example similar aircraft types or similar charter markets or similar airport you know situations and say right okay so you know are we seeing very similar trends to everyone else in terms of um, the slowdown in demand, and you know, are there any um, are there any parts of the world, even that, that particularly, you know, let's say China or in Asia, is, is there a pickup in activity uh, that suggests that if we extrapolate the same timeline, it's worth us um, keeping things open, keeping things operational, so that we can pick things up when they start to turn. Right, and you, you, you know, you made a good point there about the the Asia Pacific region. Um, if you were to kind of 
break down the, the flight activity you've been seeing by region, has it has it been kind of universal, just the, the, the decline across all regions? Or are there some where there's more business aviation activity going on than others? So in March, um, in the in fact, in February, first of all, you know, we saw a, a, a big drop in business aviation activity uh, from China. Actually, it was it was even in February, it was mixed because Hong Kong and, and Japan um, actually had an increase in activity. So, so that was their repatriation going. But we could already see that certainly for the most afflicted area for China, um, there was a big slowdown coming that was likely to uh, come to Europe too, and, and indeed, you know, as, as March went on, it took kind of half of March to happen. We saw a big slowdown uh, in the second half of March. Uh, when the month ended, the picture for Europe was was pretty similar to the picture for Asia, and I think that that's because of the kind of month start, month month end. In other words, you know, the first half of February was was really uh, intense for, for the Asian region. And probably as we started coming to March, there's a little bit of recovery. Whereas for Europe, the first half of March hadn't really hit the second half of March, really big slowdown. It ended with both regions being down by about 35%. Um, what we'd expect in April, first half of April at least, Europe is going to be down 60 or 70%. Um, maybe we'll see... Um, we'll see some improvement in Asia. I mean, on a year-on-year basis, it's going to be down, but I would expect uh, the Asia region to be down maybe you know, 20, 20%, 25% this month. Um, whereas North America is really going to, you know, cop it with a serious slowdown this month. It's going to be, you know, 70 or 80% down. And around the, the other parts of the world, I mean, there is um, much less flight activity just in absolute numbers in, in South America, uh, uh, you know, South America, Middle East, Africa, but um, but at least in in March we we haven't seen the same slowdown hit, hit South America at all. Uh, it's been it's been more or less a kind of flat market year on year. Middle East has been hit. Middle East is much slower. And before we let you go, I have to ask: when we started out, you kind of compared this to some you know past uh, situations. Although you you admitted this is kind of just unprecedented. We've we've just never seen anything like this current situation with the coronavirus it doesn't compare to 9-11 or even you know the global financial crisis but if you were to look back at some of those situations where you did have these external impacts that you know affected flight operation activity um what do you expect the recovery in flight activity to look like i mean w- will it be kind of artificial in the summer where eventually we get some travel restrictions lifted and people are are flying again, or does it take, you know, a year or so to to get back to some type of normalcy? That that is the killer question. And you you put your finger on it about the the summer season, because particularly in Europe, so much of BizAv demand revolves around summer and, and really down to some specific calendar dates, calendar events, in the summer season. Now, many of those events have already been canceled, right? So even if the, the lockdown is lifted, and um, of course, this is not just about a lockdown at all, that's just the first shock, right? After the first shock, you then get the economic repercussions that, that, that follow. So, you know, the lockdown may be lifted, and there will be to some extent pent up demand there for, for people to travel again. 
but the question is you know that the, the, these events are not are not in the calendar for the summer and the economic impact you know deriving from the sort of broader macro shot will start to hit demand um, so I think it's going to be a tough summer for, um, for, for, for certainly for the charter market um, you know you may you may find that in the private market which is which is a considerable part of overall activity particularly in the states that you know that 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 kind of comes back uh, later this year uh, you know so in other words we're talking about with with these other shocks that we've talked about you're talking about a strict v-shaped recovery with this one it's it's a U at best, and it's just how long is the bottom half of the U? Good, good insight. Yeah, that that's a great way of describing it. Now, before we let you go, Richard, I have to ask: like others in aviation, um, you know, I, I believe you're based in the UK. Um, how is WingX continuing to uh, provide its services through this time, where I would assume you all are are also forced to work from home, like pretty much everybody else? How are you all continuing to provide your analysis and services to aviation uh, through this time right now? Yeah, that's a tough one for everyone, isn't it? I mean, uh, and, and we do have some of the same basic kind of logistics challenges. You know, we've got employees dispersed. It's, 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 it's much easier to be in the same office. We do have an advantage in that our product is, you know, is online. Uh, fundamentally, we, we provide dashboards that are hosted online. Um, and a lot of our interactions with customers are around online demonstrations. So we are operating as normal in that sense. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, it's going to be challenging from a personnel point of view, just in the sense that all teams need to be together. And we'll miss the conferences uh, where we get a great chance to see our customers face to face. And that's a challenge. Um, but, but at least we've got a product which is, you know, already in the sort of new world of, of being digitally available. Well, there you have it. He is Richard Coe, Managing Director of Wings Advanced. Thanks, Richard, for coming on the podcast today. Brilliant. Woodrow, thanks very much. Very nice to talk to you. And now for our second and final interview on this episode, I caught up with Aerodynamic Advisory. They're an aerospace advisory firm based in Michigan, and we discussed how the drop in commercial airline travel is impacting the aerospace industry supply chain with a look at some of the latest research that they've done on this topic. This is another interview that I did during the first week of April. So again, you'll get to see, uh, you know, what has happened since then, um, just in this you know short period of time, how, how much this overall coronavirus situation is just impacting um, every segment of the aviation industry. So let's get into our conversation with Aerodynamic Advisory. So our next guest on this episode of the Coronavirus Podcast Series is Glenn McDonald of Aerodynamic Advisory. Glenn, could you just uh, give us a little bit of introduction to yourself, uh, your role with Aerodynamic Advisory and uh, also, what Aerodynamic Advisory provides to the aerospace thing, Woodrow, industry. Uh, thank, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so, again, my name is Glenn McDonald. I'm a principal with Aerodynamic Advisory. Uh, we're a boutique consultancy focused on management consulting, uh, transaction advisory, and market analysis for the aerospace and aviation industries. 
So uh, my background, I've been in consulting for about nine years now and have uh, brief stints at some OEMs, um, including GE Aviation and uh, Gulfstream Aerospace prior to that. So um, I've been uh, uh, been involved in aerospace uh, manufacturing, aftermarket, and technology for um, a little bit over a decade now. And what type of consulting does Aerodynamic primarily provide? Yeah, we work with um, investors and strategic clients, including uh, aircraft and engine OEMs and tier ones, um, private equity and, and other people in the investment community um, on issues impacting the aerospace supply chain. So that could include um, mergers and acquisitions and other forms of transaction advisory, um, analysis of strategic technologies for investors and OEMs, and then traditional management consulting, which is more uh, market analysis and strategy oriented. And we talked a little bit ahead of the podcast, Glenn, and you had mentioned you've been doing a little bit of research about the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak on the aerospace industry. Uh, what are some of the insights yeah, it's, you've, it's, uh, you've observed so research. far? So we, we started this endeavor about three weeks ago, and we have pretty much our whole team focused on it now. And what we're trying to do is um, see what the impact of coronavirus will be on uh, airlines and air travel demand um, and how that will affect aircraft production um, and aftermarket, including some of the things I know you focus on, um, like the, the modifications for connectivity and, and communications. Um, you know, some of the early insights, it, it is early days here. And what we're finding is that um, it, it's a really rapidly shifting shifting landscape here. Um, what we have found is that uh, what we thought were the most pessimistic uh, pessimistic um, outlooks on air, air travel demand and um, and and the impact on airlines um, from organizations like IATA, you know, only two or three weeks ago, um, we've we've advanced well beyond that, and the outlook is much more pessimistic. So I, I think it's fair to say that we haven't found that the bottom of the market or the bottom of the market isn't even in sight uh, right right now, unfortunately. Um, you know, what's really interesting is uh, the impact of some of these government assistance programs for uh, in individual countries and regions um, and kind of what impact that will have throughout the supply chain. Um, for example, uh, if you're familiar with the CARES Act um, that was just passed in the U.S., uh, some of the provisions for airlines are that they'll keep operating their domestic schedule to the extent possible, you know, regardless of passenger traffic. So what we're seeing now is this divergence or disconnect between the fundamental air travel demand and the number of flights uh, and uh, available seat kilometers that, that are flown, um, which, you know, historically that, that traffic demand and the number of flights and uh, seat capacity has tracked very well. Um, very closely together. So what we're finding is that um, certainly through the summer, um, there will be sort of an artificial boost on U.S. traffic um, to an extent, which will um, be a good thing for the aftermarket for aircraft maintenance, repair, and overhaul. Um, but, but what we're seeing is that um, airlines are really going into cash conservation mode. Uh, so we expect you know, anything that's discretionary to really be uh, deferred or delayed. Um, and, and aircraft deliveries as well, we expect um, a pretty significant impact to aircraft deliveries. Um, probably saw 
that today, um, this, this Wednesday, there, there was an announcement by Airbus about uh, significantly reduced production rates for the A350, A330, and A320 uh, for the remainder of the year. You know, I think we think that's sort of the best case scenario um, is, is what they've announced today and that we could see real production rates much lower than that. And, and really the driver there would just be airlines um, deferring delivery of aircraft or, or outright canceling orders um, and, and their inability to absorb those new aircraft. So I, I don't think we, we fully know what the impact will be yet, but will certainly be a, a pretty significant impact on both uh, production and the aftermarket. Yeah, and you mentioned something very interesting, and it was my first observation, you know, considering the technology we cover, once I saw the, the impact of the travel restrictions, just kind of, you know, passenger traffic nosedived in March. And I was thinking, you know, how is this going to affect uh, companies that supply connectivity to, you know, airlines or even to the OEMs themselves, like Airbus and Boeing, that modify their aircraft with antennas, modems, wireless access points, et cetera. How is that going to affect them? Um, but and you're saying we probably don't know what that impact is going to be yet. Yeah, Woodrow, that that's right. Um, I, the way we think about it is there, there are, airlines have different options for different types of, of maintenance activity. And, and broadly, we put those types of modifications um, like passenger and operational connectivity in, into the broader MRO landscape, right? And we call them discretionary modifications. Um, I, unfortunately, we think that those discretionary modifications are going to be the most impacted unless it's something that has a very clear and immediate ROI. Um, you know, in the past, I think it was easy to sell, maybe not easy, but um, you could sell airlines on the notion of, um, you know, installing the equipment and having maybe a, a, a ROI of a few years and potentially being able to pull in some operational data um, from a, a KA or a KU band system. Um, but I think that that calculus is, has changed somewhat and, um, uh, you know, cash, cash will be of paramount importance for, for the airlines in the coming years. Uh, so, it, you know, really ca cash flow um, will be the, the main driver of whether they, they make those modifications or not. Um, you know, to the extent that suppliers are able to offer creative value propositions, or maybe they continue to own the assets and, provide the airline with a more positive uh, cash, cash flow outlook for making those investments. Um, you know, potentially we could see some of those remain, but I think our de default view is that anything that's discretionary, certainly for 2020 and, and much of 2021 will be- It's uh, an interesting insight you gave there. And, um, uh, you know, about the, the you know, the discretionary uh, modifications that are connectivity, that's a very interesting insight. Um, once we sort of get to the other side of this, uh, you know, outbreak and how it's impacting um, all of the supply chain, what I think, and you kind of just answered it, to be honest with you, but what are some of the solutions that you think are going to be necessary for airlines and the supply chain itself to, you know, make up for the fact that during this period, they just weren't able to make revenue? It's going to be tough. For, for suppliers, but, but I think as we think about this, it will encourage or, or this transition that airlines are having um, 
towards focusing on a few financial metrics, um, return on net assets or RONA, or a return on invested capital or ROIC. And that, that encourages the airlines to um, do an asset light strategy where they're, they, they own fewer assets and maybe uh, focus more on having their suppliers own the assets and pay them sort of pay them per use. You know, we've seen this in the engine maintenance world. We've seen this in component maintenance. Um, it, it's possible, um, certainly in connectivity, we, we've um, seen connectivity providers um, pay for the installation of their equipment on the aircraft. I think this only accelerates that trend and the suppliers that have access to capital and have the strong balance sheet, I think could emerge from this crisis as, as winners. Um, uh, that's point one. I, I think point two is that you know, the, to the extent that connectivity solutions um, and the analytics um, that are associated with them can improve productivity, uh, I think those we, we could see an acceleration of those investments, you know, not this year, but as we pull out of the crisis over the next several years, I think we'll have an even sharper focus on improving maintenance and operational productivity. Um, and certainly connectivity has, has a role to play. Uh, and that productivity story. let me ask you this. Uh, I have to ask you before we let you go, Glenn, uh, you know, you, you mentioned when we talked before that you have attended the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Uh, you know, hopefully once we're able to put it on again, we'll, we'll see you there. But as, as somebody who has attended that event and, and knows kind of what the connected aircraft ecosystem looks like and you yourself work with uh, people throughout different segments of the supply chain, um, how has it in, impacted the sort of, you know, the work that you do yourself? Obviously, you're, you know, are you been forced to work from home, but your sort of relationships with the industry as well, has all of that sort of hit a pause or are you all still able to kind of work remotely? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, uh, we've all been able to work remotely and, and, and it's in a sense, it's something that we worry about a little bit, um, how easily many companies have made this transition to remote, remote work. You know, if you think about the whole business travel segment, um, I know one of the questions that's been on the industry's mind for decades is how video conferencing and better uh, telepresence solutions could um, impact the need for, for business travel demand. And, you know, certainly I think mo a good portion of business travel is uh, will remain, but, uh, you know, for us, when we have client meetings, um, we're continuing to have those now with video conferencing solutions. And um, I, I'd imagine in the future that that could, around the margins at least, impact the, the you know, the, the demand for business travel. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Certainly, our, our clients are very focused on uh, the, the COVID situation right now. And that, that's taking up a, a great deal of our time, um, as I, I expect it is for you. Um, but ho hopefully we're, we're, we're hoping we can see a return to some normalcy, uh, you know, in the, in the second half of the year. Um, certainly it's uh, many transactions have been put on hold. Um, strategic plans are being uh, revised real time here as, as companies um, scramble to conserve cash. Um, airlines are cutting their CapEx budgets. So uh, it's, it's uncertain times um, for sure. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned for more coverage of how the coronavirus pandemic is impacting aviation. We'll also be getting back to covering some of the big technology co topics that 
uh, we're traditionally known for covering on this podcast. So uh, stay tuned for more of those. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III, and thanks again for listening to the Connected Aircraft Podcast.